So how's your internet connection on the farm? It turns out this country has a ways to go before we close the digital divide. But we wanted to get a little more information about that issue. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This week, we're taking a different turn to talk with someone outside Farm Progress about this critical issue, the digital divide and rural America. Lack of broadband access is a serious challenge, and we sought out someone to share what may be happening on this front. John Conradi is Outreach Director with Connect Americans Now. This coalition of more than 270 public and private organizations is working hard to find ways to close that digital gap. Let's check in with John and learn more. Well, uh, John Conradi, you're the Outreach Director at Connect Americans Now, and welcome to Around Farm Progress. Thanks for having me. Good. Well, I'm excited to have a little conversation with you today about a topic that has kind of been a thorn in my side for the last 15 years, is because I work in the internet too as a digital producer of content, is trying to reach out. And I guess that's my first question a little bit is, can you tell me about Connect Americans Now and what your who your group is? Sure, absolutely. So Connect Americans Now, or CAN, was founded in the fall of 2017 uh, as a coalition dedicated uh, to using every tool at the nation's disposal uh, to completely eliminate the digital divide. And since that time, the coalition has grown to include more than 275 uh, organizations from around the country representing a really wide array of voices who are all committed to this mission. So we have uh, large agriculture companies and associations. Uh, we have telehealth companies and associations. We have tech leaders. We have education groups. Uh, we have small business and veterans uh, organizations uh, all coming together to advocate for solutions to expand broadband connectivity. So uh, kind of a surprise question a little bit, but the pandemic has kind of changed this conversation, hasn't it? Absolutely. You know, the, the digital divide was a was a challenge that existed before the pandemic, but the but uh, the pandemic has really exacerbated the impact of it and really thrust it much more so into the spotlight. You know, the challenge of school systems in rural areas uh, trying to shift to remote learning, uh, you know, the challenge of healthcare facilities. Uh, particularly in areas where there have been rural hospital closures being overburdened and strained and folks in those areas having less access to telehealth solutions. Um, really, these kind of things have really helped uh, uh, push this into the spotlight. You know, small businesses, too. You know, small businesses uh, have really struggled during the pandemic. Uh, and those that don't have access to broadband Internet to adapt and to find new ways to reach customers uh, have been put at a significant disadvantage. So um, how does your organization think we can solve this? What are the what are the tools or the tactics we might be able to use? Sure. So uh, we really advocate around three uh, main pillars. One is uh, is a kind of regulatory uh, way of thinking about things, uh, which is clear uh, policies to clear regulatory barriers to innovative solutions that can help expand broadband connectivity and policies to maximize things like spectrum resources. Uh, resources that we have at the nation's disposal uh, that can be put to use to close the digital divide. Uh, the second area is around broadband mapping, is making sure that we actually know the scale and location of the challenge in order to then tackle it. Um, there's widespread bipartisan agreement that the current uh, way that we measure the digital divide underestimates the scale of the problem. And then the third piece is ensuring 
uh, that there is adequate that there are adequate public resources to support private in, uh, investment and private action uh, to actually bring broadband connectivity to unserved areas uh, through physical infrastructure deployments, and then to make sure that folks who can't afford uh, internet, which is the flip side of the digital divide, is the affordability issue, uh, have uh, that there's a pathway for them uh, to get and remain connected as well. And I guess question from for you is how do you do you find define broadband? I mean, is 10 megabytes down enough? I mean, that's the other side of this conversation, right? Is what is broadband? Right. So we as an organization um, go by the FCC's definition of broadband, which is 53. Um, you know, obviously, you know, down the line, uh, there there needs to be a future proof component of solving the digital, digital divide. You know, if we get uh, if we get um, someone access to internet um, today, uh, you know, and then 5G is, you know, is beginning to be rolled out in suburban and urban areas, there's still going to be an element of a disparity there. And so that's why, you know, a lot of the technologies, though, that are out there, whether they be fiber or they be wireless technologies uh, like TV white space or, uh, or, um, or others, um, really have the potential or, or are already there uh, to go well beyond 25.3. But in terms of getting uh, folks connected today, you know, the folks who have access to, to nothing or who have access to less than true broadband speeds, they can't wait five years to get there. And so we advocate for, for getting them access to, to the current broadband uh, definition as quickly as possible. Right. And that makes the most sense. And I think one thing your group and the organization pushes for is kind of an ecumenical answer. Don't, don't prescribe the approach but open the doors to any approach. Is that right? That's exactly right. You know, we've seen um, particularly the FCC, you know, there are several federal programs uh, designed to expand broadband connectivity, mostly at USDA and the FCC. And we've seen the FCC be particularly effective through the CAF one and two auctions and now the, the what's called the RDOF, the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, uh, conduct reverse auctions, um, which allow, uh, you know, companies to come in with the, with their own approach um, with their own technologies and and knowledge of certain markets and say this this is how we do it and and for this amount and and we've seen uh, that result in a fairly effective use of public dollars to expand connectivity uh, without saying it's got to be all fiber it's got to be all this technology it needs to be this kind of mix it's just letting uh, encouraging the private market to do it with the support of public resources. Um, and we've certainly made progress in recent years, you know, according to the FCC numbers, which, like I mentioned earlier, uh, do underestimate the problem, but they give you some benchmark. Uh, a few years ago, we had about 24 million Americans who had zero access to broadband, uh, according to those numbers, and that number uh, uh, recently was updated to 14.5. Now, again, though, I just put the big asterisks on that, that that vastly underestimate, still vastly underestimates the true scale of the problem. Uh, and some recent studies have found that the, the true number is likely more in the range of around 42 million Americans who don't have access to, to broadband. Well, that's one of the challenges, right? We've, we've passed a law to improve the map, but we haven't funded it. That's exactly right. You know, we had this, this, this bipartisan collaboration, deeply divided Washington. Uh, lawmakers came together and passed the Broadband Data Act uh, uh, on a bipartisan basis, uh, and the president signed it into law earlier this year, 
but the FCC can't begin uh, implementing the law and fixing the mapping data until that piece of legislation is funded. And so at the current moment, that's a top priority for Connect Americans now uh, is encouraging Congress to make sure that that legislation is fully funded as quickly as possible because it's going to take time for the FCC, uh, even once it is funded, uh, to, to change their methodology, to implement new methodology, and to update their figures. For, for people who may not have followed this uh, issue, can you give me an example of what's wrong with the map? Sure, absolutely. So it, it, the, the current maps essentially rely on survey data, and, and, and it asks two questions. It says, can you or could you serve this area? And could you is, of course, a, a subjective question that means something different to everybody. Uh, and so Internet providers, um, you know, when they answer that question, they, they answer it based on their own criteria and their own interpretation of what that means. Uh, and, and also the measurements are based, uh, uh, are based around census blocks, which in rural areas in particular can be hundreds of square miles. And so an Internet provider might say, well, theoretically, we could serve uh, into this census block, and it might be one corner uh, of a census block, and, and you might have, you know, dozens of miles away entire communities that are completely unserved, but under the current methodology, then that entire block gets counted uh, as, as covered. Um, and so that's how you get uh, this real disparity in terms of the number uh, of Americans that the FCC says definitively, this is how many don't have access uh, versus what other studies have found. Uh, that doesn't make sense. And I think this, what I saw is some of those census blocks are tens of thousands of square miles. And, you know, one small community in the southeast corner has the Internet and nobody else does. That's exactly right. And this is so important to guiding public and private investment. You know, we can't we're not going to be able to solve the challenge if we can't identify where it is or how large uh, the 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 challenge is. And so it's critically important that Congress act on this. In the grand scheme, it, it, the FCC has said it will need $65 million to implement the law in its first year. That might sound like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of federal budget making, $65 million is, is actually pr pretty small. Um, and so there's really no reason that Congress shouldn't be able to fully fund this uh, swiftly. That makes sense. So we know about ReConnect at USDA, talk about RDOF at uh, FCC. What's private industry's role in all of this? Yeah, absolutely. The, the private industry you know, plays an incredibly important role here. Both Internet providers who are on the front lines of trying to expand uh, connectivity uh, to people and innovators, you know, folks like Microsoft who have uh, uh, what's called a, the uh, Airband Initiative uh, is a commitment made by that company uh, to do their part to expand broadband connectivity. Um, they made an initial commitment to, to through the Airband project. Uh, to partner with internet providers to bring connectivity to a million Americans who are previously unserved. Uh, the project has already met that threshold. They have projects in 16 states uh, where Microsoft provides uh, know-how and, and guidance and expertise uh, and investment um, to these projects, particularly uh, bringing to the table things like innovative solutions uh, that can bring down the cost of deployment. Uh, and, and so they've upped their commitment from one to three million Americans. Um, so that's just a, one example of the kind of things uh, that folks are doing. There are other companies, including Microsoft through their Airband initiative, but other companies as well, uh, who are doing things like piloting uh, school buses, connected school buses, um, where folks, particularly like in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, uh, where you might have a 90 minute ride uh, to and from school uh, and no broadband Internet access at home. 
uh, to have a connected bus using wireless technology uh, that then um, students could access the internet and, and do homework um, or research on the bus on those long rides. Interesting. So what, what do you see as the opportunities ahead? You guys are pretty deep into this. Does this, do you see that the light at the end of the tunnel is no longer an oncoming train? I mean, do you see some opportunity here? Well, certainly there, there's a lot of urgency. And I think, you know, the last year uh, has really uh, uh, brought a new level of commitment, uh, particularly in Washington, to uh, more rapidly uh, addressing this challenge. I think folks realize on both sides of the aisle that uh, that Americans who are on the wrong side of the broadband gap truly cannot wait another five years uh, to get access to broadband Internet, that that entire community is uh, entire families, um, entire parts of the economy in unserved and underserved areas are truly at risk if they are not uh, delivered broadband internet uh, access and the ability to participate in the modern digital classroom economy, healthcare uh, facility, uh, and so on. And and so I think you know ne- going into next year, obviously we're going to have uh, a new political landscape in Washington. One of the the, the very top of the list. Uh, items that's talked about uh, as as uh, having the potential for bipartisan collaboration is infrastructure. Uh, and so our hope that going into the next year that there will be a real serious uh, collaboration and commitment to, to doing an infrastructure package that includes significant funding uh, for broadband to completely eliminate the digital divide. And I think the phrase infrastructure has changed in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, when you talked about a infrastructure project, it was roads and bridges. Today, they're digital roads and bridges. That's right. I mean, and to participate in the 21st century economy, it's just become essential uh, to have access to broadband internet. You know, we've uh, gone out and visited places uh, that either are unserved or or that recently got connectivity. Uh, I was. Uh, about a year ago uh, in uh, in Garrett County, Maryland, which is on the very western extremity uh, of Maryland in the foothills of the of the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, and that community had not had zero internet access essentially up until about a year or two years ago when they started to get uh, some access. And you just heard amazing stories about the transformation that it brought to the community. I talked to a dairy farmer who said it he was able to save his fourth generation farm because he was able to convert his dairy business into a gourmet cheese business, and he markets his cheese online around the around the globe. Um, you know, I talked to a, a school a math teacher who, within a year, that they actually were one of the you know most schools in the country have been connected, but they were one of the rare schools where the actual school itself still hadn't had connectivity until recently. And within a year of this middle school getting connectivity. They had a uh, their robotics team won a national championship. So these are just the kind of things that are that are so essential for rural America. Uh, uh, indications of how essential it is that they get connectivity. Well, and I think it's for the health of rural America. We talk about farms, but the health of those small towns. If they have connectivity, they can op- you know operate in different ways than they could have just five or ten years ago. Absolutely. Well, John, it's been great talking to you. Good luck in your efforts at Connect Americans Now. I think that there's a big opportunity out there, and I think uh, it'll be interesting to watch it unfold. We'll probably check in with you in a few months and see how, how things are going. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks to John Conradi, Outreach Director for Connect Americans Now, for that insight on this challenging issue. The pandemic has shown us a lot of warts in the world of high-speed internet, and we're hoping his group's work is successful. 
You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team and experts in our industry. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress Virtual Experience. If you didn't tune in for the premiere of the Farm Progress Virtual Experience, it's still available. Just visit HuskerHarvestDays.com for a direct connection to the virtual event. And while it's rich with field demonstration content and excellent breakouts, I would also recommend checking out the Trade Show Experience, where you can search hundreds of exhibitors by name or by specific product category. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.